money. What is it? Why is it so important? Is it actually important? Or is it much to do about nothing? And how come almost nobody ever has enough of it? You know, it's interesting. I've done a quite a few things in my background in terms of different backgrounds. You know, living with the Amish for a couple, two or three years. Uh, I went through a period of time where you know, I lived on farms for five or ten years, focused on organic agriculture, saving the world. Uh, I was running nightclubs. I was invest investing money. I became a certified financial planner, started a wealth management company, worked for GE Capital, become an investor now, lived in a log cabin and lived in a big house in Beverly Hills. And it's given me an interesting take on money. And I was reading today one of the great books on money that I recommend you get. It's a small black book by Peter Bevelin. It's called A Few Lessons from Investors and Managers. Uh, it's, it's basically about Warren Buffett, but it is so compact in terms, it's almost everything you need to know about money. But, uh, for some people, even a book like that is too complex. So I want to share a few things that I think are relevant for your life when it comes to money. Because like I said, money, money, it's the thing that everybody struggles with. I don't care if you're Mother Teresa. You know, I read, you know, I read a book a day and I read, I, every so often I read a Mother Teresa uh, biography just because I think she was important. Um, I'm not religious, but just for what she stood for and how different she was in terms of, you know, she, she took a vow of poverty. I think it, I don't know, in her teens, she took a vow of chastity to never get married. She took a vow of like obedience to always listen to the Catholic church. And no matter how you view religion, you have to admire somebody that wakes up every morning on the hot, uh, in the hot slums, no conveniences, of Calcutta and goes around and picks up dying people off the streets and brings them home and nurses them by hand. Uh, not, not even oftentimes can't save them or couldn't save them, but nurse them back from death. Uh, some of them died and she just gave them, uh, last two weeks that were dignified. For other people, she was able to, her and her, you know, sisters, she was able to revive them. But she spent her life doing the most selfless things. What does that have to do with money? Well, I find it also interesting that she spent most of her time, as she got older, uh, fundraising. She needed money, even a quote-unquote saint like Mother Teresa needed money. And why? It's the acquisition of scarce resources. Never get confused like most people uh, are when it comes to money. It's a very heated and charged conversation when it comes to money. Money is simply whatever is scarce and valuable at the same time. The reason gold is valuable versus, let's say, iron, steel, lead, is because it took a supernova, a very hot star exploding to create enough heat to create the element that we call gold. Gold has an atomic weight or number or whatever of like 72, I think. Don't quote me on that exactly. I'm not a chemist, but 
something like hydrogen, which is abundant in the universe, has an atomic weight or number of like one or whatever. The point being, there's a hell of a lot of heat uh, of of uh, hydrogen in the universe, and that's why it's not that valuable, right? You don't see hip hop rappers wearing hydrogen necklaces. <laughs> They're wearing gold necklaces because a it's extremely scarce, at least at the point that we've been able to find it. Maybe deep down in the center of the Earth's core, you can find a lot of gold, but we can't find much of it. And it has a purpose. It's malleable. It's usable into things that we admire. And therefore, gold is valuable. Now, let's step it back even further. What else is valuable? Time is valuable. Most of your money will be exchanged for time in the world we live in. And what's more precious than time? Money cuts risk. You can use money to cut risk out of your life. We use it to insure ourselves. In the modern world, we store up money in big pools where you, know, you buy auto insurance and your neighbor buys auto insurance. That way, if you crash your car, some of his money goes to fix your car. And then six months later, when he crashes his car... Your money goes to pay him. That's risk avoidance. Again, do you like risk in your life? Probably not. So acquiring money for you will be vital in the game of increasing, or I should say decreasing, the risk in your life. You see? It will be increasing the disposable time on your hands. Right? What's the first thing people do? Here, I live in Hollywood Hills. When they get rich, they have a gardener. They have a housekeeper. It's one of the first things people do. Why? Because we all come from hunter-gatherers. And hunter-gatherers are inherently lazy. It takes a lot of energy. Not just the expense of your body moving around. Because if you lay down on a bed, you still expend Energy, because our brain is only about 5% of our body weight, but it expends 20 to 30% of all the fuel. It burns 20 to 30% of all the fuel. So just being alive as a human is taking a lot of energy. So if you can use cash, money, scarce resources to save energy and time, you're probably going to want to do it. And guess what? If you study evolutionary psychology, people who have extra resources live longer so all these things start adding up if you can use money in the modern world in the past it was other things to avoid risk and to expend less energy on things that you'd like to save time on these things start adding up and they become useful in increasing your health physically people who are wealthier live longer, and their children live longer. The great book I've blogged, I, I've written an article on this called uh, uh, Why Beautiful People Have More Daughters. In that book, you'll read the two evolutionary psychologists talk about, man, it's highly correlated with having enough wealth that not only you live longer, 
but so do your grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. And so never be somebody who's confused as to why do humans go to war. I can tell you why humans go to war. They go to war over scarce resources. Japan, World War II, why did they bomb Pearl Harbor in the United States? Well, they wanted to take out our Navy. Why did they want to take out our Navy? Because they wanted to expand into Asia and didn't want us messing with their colonial efforts. England. Why did they go to India? They wanted resources. And wars are fought over these resources. Germany, both in World War I and World War II, you can study all angles and say Hitler was a madman and this and this, but he was allowed to do what he did in great part over money. Right? End of World War I, the Treaty of Versailles, is signed. Germany's indebted to the world to pay things back. And it put tremendous economic pressure. My grandma was born after, during World War I. She's still alive today. She was born in February 1918. World War I ended November 11th at 11 in the morning, 1918. My grandma was still alive when World War I was going on. And boy, when that war was over, my grandma said she grew up. She said, Ty, we didn't have any food. We ate carrots. We turned orange, she said. And my grandma was from a relatively well-to-do family. Nothing. Her father was a doctor. People couldn't pay for his services. They would bring rabbits that they had hunted in the fields to pay. So you see, money is at the root of what happened in World War I, which led to Hitler being able to come in and quote-unquote save the people with his projects like the Autobahn, and he rose to power and threw the world into tremendous uh, uh, turmoil, and we probably are barely recovering from it even today. World War I led to World War II, which led to the Cold War. Cold War led to, the, and, and, and also led to the nuclear age and led to the Cold War. Vietnam never ends. And it was a struggle for resources, and your individual life will be a struggle of resources because let's take this further. People who have sufficient amount of resources, money in their bank account, both as an individual, you and your nation at uh, having sufficient money, you do better in love. People think that's not true, but that is true. Money is used by people on both sides, primarily men, to attract higher quality uh, partners to have children with. You might say, ah, oh, it's all about romance, da, da, da. Come on, let's get real. We live in the modern world. We can see these things under a brain scanner. We can see the hormonal patterns. Your love life is affected by money. For sure, top three. I just came back. I, I do do one of the speeches at uh, the, for the last five years at the International Dating Conference. was here in Beverly Hills. Actually, today, I just finished Love. What's one of the primary causes of divorce? Arguing over scarce resources, money, cash. You must become an expert and a master with wealth. You must master a whole set of tools. Imagine your life like a tool belt, like a handyman. You don't want just a hammer. You don't want just a screwdriver. You don't want just a tape measure. You need many tools for many situations and you must understand scarce resources sufficiently so that you will not be in the struggle like Beethoven. 
the great artist, the great musician. He was not ever that happy because he was always struggling with money. Like the uh, Nobel Prize winning guy, what's his name, Kahneman, I think, talks about if you make less than 80 grand, you're probably not that happy of an individual. Again, you must acquire scarce resources in the modern world. It is primarily cash. Now, am I saying that money is the only thing? No. As those of you know who listen to what I talk about regularly, it's about the good life, which includes physical health, includes wealth, includes love, and includes happiness. But make no mistake, if you withdraw or remove money from the equation, you will get none of those. You will certainly not have wealth, obviously, without money, but it's a cascading effect. Next thing you know, health is degraded because you're under stress and hunter-gatherers under continual stress do not perform. Hunter-gatherers primarily rest. I found it interesting. I'm interviewing one of the top uh, uh, NBA trainers tomorrow. He wrote the book, The Hoops Whisperer. And uh, it's fascinating because he, uh, uh, you know, I, I forget where he quoted, but I read that, you know, pro basketball players basically do three things. They eat, they play basketball, and they sleep, right? And they rest because, once again, even athletes at the highest level understand the need for simply resting. So physical health is predicated upon rest. At some level, I interviewed Ben Greenfield, was voted, you know, I don't know, 100 most influential people in the health space. And he said, I asked him, Ben, if you could do things over, what would you do different? He said, I'd rest more. Even though he was like an Ironman triathlete level uh, athlete, he says, I would rest more. But once again, look at people. Uh, I got that one famous book. I'm blanking out. I just went to Barnes and Nobles today. It's today. It's that one about the girl who goes and lives in America and tries to live off a minimum wage. And they're all. You're always tired if you're working two jobs. You're not able to let your stress hormones uh, go down. You're living on adrenaline. You're working two jobs for ten bucks an hour. You can't pull it off. Now, if you're young, you might need to do that for a while. You put in sweat equity. Because you're building towards something bigger. You're building skills. When I was first starting out, I worked for Joel Salatin for probably came out to $2 an hour. But it was okay because I was putting in sweat equity and I was uh, getting going to get rewarded in the long term. But many people make their career permanently as an adult out of this horrible jobs. So I was at the Grove today, saw a movie in uh, the X-Men, and I was coming back and I ordered an Uber. And some of these Uber drivers are just so incompetent he couldn't find me and i'm thinking gps how can you not find me i'm on a major street there's a little dot and then it got me thinking this person's an adult and still driving a taxi to me and i don't mean to disparage anybody because people have different stories of why they are where they are but in an ideal society not that i'm perfect but in an ideal society that we should all strive for these low-level jobs where you'd be not paid enough happen early in life and they're really just investments into building skills you shouldn't be doing these things when you're 40 or 50 if you that means you made a mistake so maybe you do it temporarily but you try to get out of that as fast as you can because you need especially as you get older the ability to let down and take a break even though those of you know that i talk about working you know 14 hours a day 
even then has to be moderated with some periods just during the day of letting down, right? For me, I work a lot, but even during the day, I take periods of rest. And it's I'm able to do that because I know how to acquire scarce resources, money. You must do the same. Like I said, it's either a negative feedback loop in your life, meaning it gets worse and worse and worse, or it gets better and better and better. And there's this saying that everybody laments about, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. I'm not saying it's good or bad. A lot of people say that's bad. They say, you know, look, Ty, the rich are getting richer and look how bad the world's getting. I mean, when the true facts, if you study it, it is true the rich are getting richer. And that even the rich are getting wider in the disparity between rich and those not rich. But everybody's getting richer. So it's not that bad of a deal. If you have any understanding of global history, everybody's richer right now. Everybody is richer. Even the poorest of the poor uh, are richer than they were 500 years ago. I was reading an interesting book on, I think it was one of the Russian czars in the 1800s. And they were talking about how even these kings were relatively poor compared to what we have now in the sense that, you know, some of these kings, sure, they had castles and stuff. But if they pricked their, if a knife accidentally cut them, they get tetanus and die. You know, our medical that's available even to the, even the medical is not that good. I know that's another controversy. Poor don't get good health care. But I'm saying it's better than it was 500 years ago. Relative abundance in the world is up. Prosperity is up. But it will be relatively unfair for a long time. Why? Because it's a positive feedback loop to get wealthy. When you get wealthy and you listening, you're able to acquire sufficient resources. Guess what will happen next? You'll then be able to rest a little bit. You'll then be able to exercise a little bit and eat and afford a little bit better food. Your love and social circles will increase in quality and quantity. Your happiness will jump up a little bit. And guess what that all of those create? More people want to be around you. More business deals come your way. Your mind is thinking more clearly. So you make less mistakes and all that adds up to more wealth. And so, of course, the wealthier you get, the wealthier most likely you'll continue to get. Creating positive momentum. But I will tell you, it's like they talk about compounding interest. You know, one of the things Buffett talks about in his book, he's talking about debt, taking on debt, leverage. And boy, it's amazing when it works for you, compounding. But remember, the reverse and inverse is also true. When things start going bad, they can get hell of a lot worse quicker than you can imagine. So don't make too many mistakes, especially when it comes to money. Don't believe the hype that you got to learn by losing a lot of money on your own. You don't have to. I was reading a few months ago the Hugh Hefner uh, biography about how he built Playboy. And whether you whether or not you like Playboy is irrelevant to me. I, I read many things, don't always agree with the whole business model. But the fascinating thing is Hugh Hefner re- never really failed. You know, he, he launched Playboy, in the I think, in the 50s. He was around 30 years old. 
And his first issue, he was smart. He thought it through. He planned and executed. And he sold, I don't know, I think 70,000, 50 or 70,000 copies, which was a lot back then. And he just went up, 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 up. Like Buffett says, you know, his, Benjamin Graham told him, the secret is to not make any big mistakes and just hit a lot of first base hits. So when it comes to money, you must not make many mistakes. You're going to make a few, but if you listen to things like I'm talking about, and I, you know, this is kind of a broad talk. There's a lot of specific things. Uh, I'll get into maybe a few of them here, but um, I don't think I'll get into all of them right now specifically, but I will as you continue to listen. I talk a lot about this in the academy. Um, and, and so when it comes to, you know, that's on my website, by the way, tylopez.com. Check it out, the Millionaire Mentor Academy. But let me touch on a few specific things. I just wanted to kind of, I like this big picture talk. I know some t- for some of you it can be hard to follow because I kind of bounce around. That's my style. Um, I've learned that uh, that's how I talk. <laughs> that's how my mind works. Hopefully it's not too annoying or confusing for you. Uh, but for me, uh, as I understand the big picture, Right, it's like big concentric circles. And I start wide and understanding, okay, scarce resources, gold, stars exploding, you know, history of czars and kings, how there's a correlation in love life and, 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 and rest and physical health and having great grandchildren. As I understand that big picture, money begins to make sense with, to me. Never be afraid to get the big picture before you narrow down. Some people are like, no, just give me the practical steps. What do I do? Do I invest my money in gold? Do I invest my It's not that simple, my friend. It's not that simple. Like Einstein said, you know, you should make things as simple as possible, but not more simple than they can be. This question of money is something you should be willing to devote a sufficient amount of time because you will spend the rest of your life Always acquiring and protecting resources that are yours. Because if you don't, you will go the way of the Neanderthal. Remember, in society, in evolution, in adaption, if somebody does something 1% better than you, over time, you and your ideas and your children and grandchildren will disappear. That's what happened in Neanderthals. Us humans, homo sapiens, we're a little more advanced, maybe 1% more advanced. And over 50,000 years, we dominated. Dominating thoughts, uh, I'm sorry, effective thoughts will dominate the economic landscape forever. So you have a choice. You can whine about it, or if you can't beat it, you can join it. I want you to know that the quality of your life in great part will always hinge upon you, uh, your ability to go out, find things that are valuable and scarce, and bring them into your possession. You don't have to do it greedy, greedily. Think about Mother Teresa, as I spoke of. She went out, she acquired money, and then she used it for good. Many people do this. Like I say, I always talk about Bill Gates. You know, he's known as... Some people know him as a greedy capitalist, but he pretty much is eradicating malaria. He's eradicating tuberculosis with his extra money. You know, I don't want to point my finger at somebody like that and call him a bad capitalist. What do you and I do with our money? Something more noble than him? 
So I always tell people, hey, before you start pointing fingers, like my mom said, we're quick to judge others and harsh to judge others. But when it comes to ourselves, we're like, I don't know, I'm going to give that a pass. If you are doing more noble things with your money, if you're eradicating global diseases, then you can be quick to point out the flaws in Bill Gates' capitalism. But he has tremendous, well, I talk about those four levels, you know, scarcity that you can have in your life, financial independence, well, uh, prosperity and wealth, and he's in that wealth and impact uh, side. And you should seek and strive to get there in whatever capacity you have natural ability in. But don't ever believe, and this is your warning for life, not warning, but this is, you know, your heads up for life. Don't ever let anybody fool you. You will need to be able to make money. And once you make it, you'll need to be able to keep it. Like I talked about in a previous talk, you know, how Mike Tyson lost 400 million bucks, which in today's dollars would be about worth a billion dollars. And he went down to 15,000. He's my neighbor here up in Hollywood Hills. You don't want to be that person. <laughs> so now a lot of people would say, well, I'd love to make 400 million and then lose it. That'd be better than never having it. No, it's actually worse that way. You're better to never have had 400 million dollars because it'll trigger the deprival uh, bias and you'll be much more unhappy. The best thing is figure out how to make $400 million and keep it, right? And it's interesting. Not all pro athletes, not all pro athletes lose their money. Look at Shaq, the pro basketball player. He made about the same amount of money, anywhere from, I don't know, 250 to 500 million. And, and they asked him, you know, Shaq, how you doing? He's doing great. He's doing great. Why? He understood how to invest his money. He says annuities. That's actually the thing. He, he had a good financial advisor. Now, I know a lot of people argue that annuities aren't the best investment. Well, they're fine in the right situation, and that's for another talk. But Shaq has kept his money. Magic Johnson has grown his – he's almost a billionaire using uh, his abilities to acquire scarce resources. You must get good at it. What's the starting point? Well, the starting point is what we've been doing for the last, whatever, 20 minutes. Getting a big picture understanding of money. Pick up some books. Begin to get some broad understanding of macro, economics, and micro. Don't be scared of it. Like Drucker says, disabling ignorance. Don't just say, oh, I'm not good with money. That's the start. Get that out of your head. Like I say, whenever I meet somebody that's like, hey, I'm not good with good at math. I'm like, well, you're probably not good at money. And whenever I hear people say, you know, I'm not that good at, you know, studying, investing. Oh, it's not really my thing. Well, I'm like, well, then you're going to be good at being poor. You make the choice. World's not going to adapt to you. Everybody I know, like I always say, forget rich dad, poor dad. I didn't have that experience, but I got rich friends, poor friends. And the rich friends know a little bit about money. They know a little history of money. They know what inflation is, right? They know what, uh, uh, they know what LIBOR is in the United States. You might say, well, what's LIBOR? Well, Google it. It's free. You should know what LIBOR is. You should understand somewhat sophisticated financial terms. You would understand, should understand derivatives a little bit, options. You should understand the stock market. You should have a little account. I tell everybody, you know, 
go to Ameritrade or one of those Schwab or wherever you want to trade online and buy a couple hundred dollars worth of stock. Everybody can do it. Learn how to put in a purchase order and how to do a limit order and a stop order and all those things just to get, you know, a little bit under your belt. What I did when I was in my twenties, I went and took my CFP, became a certified financial planner and a CHFC and a CLU. I wanted to be good because I realized you're going to spend the rest of your money trying to, I mean, rest of your life trying to get money. Why do all of us go through junior high and high school and come out with a goal of getting a job, but no understanding of money? So like I said, first start big picture. Start understanding all the big picture from the history of money, why we have currency, and don't assume you know. You know, people are, oh, I already know I have money. Of course we have paper money. No, don't assume. Like the... uh Great here, uh, there's epistemology is the study of how we know things. And one of these epistemological principles that I heard somebody say in layman's terms is ask why three times, you know? Why? We have paper money. Why do we have paper money? Well, cause it's easier than handing somebody a cow or a house. We use paper. Okay. But why is it easier? Then you go further and further and further until you start getting answers. Right? Why does America you know, you hear people go, oh, America's not on the gold standard anymore. The world's falling to pieces. Ask why. Well, it allows, you know, fiat money. Da, 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 da. Well, why is that a problem? Go further. As Munger says, avoid extreme ideologies. As Alexander Pope in his famous poem, you know, he talks about drinking at the Pyrian well. And he says, drink deeply. He's talking about like the fountain of knowledge. Drink deeply. Or don't drink at all. Don't be like most people. They know a few little lines about money. Oh, well, inflation's a problem. Or, oh, you know, we should go back to gold stamp. But people don't really know. If you ask them three times, why is that an issue? They get stumped. Make sure you're not easily stumped. You must be somewhat sophisticated with money. Go buy some books on money. I'm looking here in my office. I keep books, uh, you know, you can read Rick Edelman, you can read Susie Orman, you can read a For Dummies book. Doesn't matter, just get some momentum. Get a little momentum. I'll, I'll be listing, uh, if you go to my site, uh, tylopez.com, you'll see a link to the podcast you can pick on this, or the audio that I'm talking now, video, and you can click on the link and I'll have the notes on this show, on this recording, and you can see links to some books that I recommend. Just start wrapping your head around the basics of money. Don't buy into the lie that uh, it's not important or it's somehow evil. It's not. Like I said, that's why I started by talking about Mother Teresa and Bill Gates saving the world because they're able to bring money into their bank account and then use it wisely. Don't fall for that you know, logical fallacy about the slippery slope and, okay, well, once you start doing that, you'll start making money. The next thing you know... It will start controlling you. Come on. Grow up here. Always look for disconfirming evidence. Is that true? Is it true that all people who get money become evil? I think that's hardly the case. Like I said, didn't make Mother Teresa evil. and Didn't make Bill Gates evil. He drives a Prius. The man could be living a decadent life like Muammar Gaddafi did with his money. But like anything... Money probably amplifies who you already are. Now, let's get into a few specifics. 
because I wanted to stay pretty general in this talk. I don't always have time in some of these shows to go through all the specifics. You know, I, in my CFP, these things take years. So it's, um, not something I can explain everything in one day, but suffice to say, if you're still listening, you're already on the right track because you're realizing I'm going to up my awareness on everything to do with money. For some of you, get the Wall Street Journal, start reading it, and, I, and just go at a slow pace. As we talk about that Peter Drucker 18-month goal, you don't need to be getting good and perfect with money in the next two weeks. I'm not asking for that. That may be too much to ask anybody. 18 months, though, from now, I want to be able to ask you what LIBOR is, and I want you to know. I want you to understand what treasuries are. Right? I want you to understand what collateralized mortgage obligations are. Sounds weird. Sounds hard. You might say, well, that's not my thing. I'm not my thing with money. Well, is your thing being happy? Because you're going to need to know these in an ever-increasing and sophisticated world if you want to be happy. So I hope that you'll get it that out of your mind that you're not good at these things and realize that's just disabling ignorance. It's not that hard to be good at these you don't have to be an absolute genius. That's the good news. So specifically, people then ask me, Ty, what is that magical thing that you have to know to bring more money into your bank account and to keep it there? Well, once we, you know, this first thing, here's the second, you know, the first thing is this broad that we've been talking about for the last half hour. And you've got a generalized understanding of money, which by the way, is not that easy to do. It's going to take you some time, so start on that. The second thing, the second thing, okay, that's absolutely vital, and I've talked about this before, is to begin to see yourself always as an investor. And this is hard for humans because in the past, when we lived on the African savanna, it was better for you as a human to simply eat all the acorns that you collected or whatever. Or when you kill a deer, there was no refrigeration. So you just ate it real quickly. And this, so you're hardwired. The whispers of, I call this the whispers of 10,000 generations from your parents, great grandparents, great, 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 great grandparents over thousands of generations. They've whispered into your consume, 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 because you don't know how long you'll live. Because remember, we evolved from people that only lived 20 or 30 years. Okay. Whereas now we live a hundred years. My grandma's 96. So it made sense back then to be a consumer. Eat, consume. And this is, of course, why very few people can keep a diet. I find that, you know, people, if you're in the weight loss business, you're always going to have customers because people are not hardwired to be willing to, uh, invest and save, right? They're, most of us are consumers when it comes to food. There's some good food in front of us. There's a plate of cookies. We're going to eat it all. They've done those experiments with kids. I always find funny where they put donuts or whatever in front of the kids and ask the kids to wait and say, Hey, if you eat, uh, if you wait till we come back, we'll give you, uh, two donuts and the kids can't do it. You know, the kids go nuts just sitting there in a room with one donut there and they finally just eat the donut because they can't handle it. That's even though we laugh at that and that's little kids and going, Oh, why can't they wait 10 minutes till they'll get the donut? I mean, think about your own life. 
Have you ever made a stupid decision when it comes to finance and bought something you knew you didn't need, but you just couldn't help yourself? Yeah, we've all had that because that is intrinsically and innately part of being human. But you were on this number two thing, the number two thing you must do when it comes to keeping your money is you must come at money from not as a standpoint of a hunter-gatherer consumer who didn't have refrigeration, but as a person who's able to forego pleasant, uh, present pleasure in order to get a long-term benefit. Contemplate that. Think on that. It's hard. You must find a balance because the balance is different for some people. Some people are just never completely going to buy into the thought that they should forego present pleasure because, you know, people say, well, YOLO, you only live once. If that's you, I recommend you make a slight tweak. You might never become, you know, a super hoarder, but in general, uh, you must gradually move from consumer to investor. The problem is everything in the world is against you media wise. The media is pounding away at your brain at every level. The whole economic system, uh, primarily in the United States is built upon a lot of people spending a lot of money. If you look at companies like countries like Germany that have very high savings rates, right? It's a completely different business model than the way America has been set up and much, much of the West and even countries like Germany are slowly becoming more consumer oriented. So, for you, that's number two. Begin to say, I'm an investor. Identify yourself as an investor, both internally and when you meet new people. People go, what do you do for a living? Eh, I'm an investor. Because investors win this game of money almost every time. They really do. Hard for people to fathom that, but uh, I tell them, well, do the numbers. 440 wealthiest Self-made billionaires in the world, 77 or so are investors. The third thing you got to understand is what I call the law of 15. If you understand the time value of money, you've got a choice every day. Uh, of course, you got to spend a little money on the necessities, food, rent, but all of us have some disposable income. With your disposable income, remember, Everything you buy, you should multiply by what I call the law of 15. What's that mean? Well, if you buy a $30,000 car when you're, let's, I don't know, 20 years old, 30 or 40 years from now, if you could have taken that money and not bought the car and invested it at, let's say, 8%, right? That money would be worth that $30,000 car. If you had foregone and not bought that car, that'd be worth $450,000. Multiply it by 15. See, the real cost of that car is not 30 grand. It's 450 grand. Half a million dollar car. If you begin to think about things this way, it will do two things. A, it will keep you from some stupid purchases because you go, man, this meal, yeah, I'm going to buy some sushi and it's a hundred bucks going out to dinner. But if what Ty's saying is true, and don't take my word for it, go to a simple financial calculator online. Do it yourself. Look up the time value of money. Run the numbers. You'll see. You'll see that it's, uh, if you put in present value of one dollar over 35 years, 
at an 8% interest rate, you'll see the future value is about $14.79, 15 bucks, like I said, right? So absolutely vital that you uh, completely grasp and grab a hold of this understanding of the law of 15. Now, some people say, well, you got to buy stuff. You have to buy stuff. I, I know you have to buy stuff. I didn't say never buy anything. That is not what I say. I did not say you should, uh, uh, you know, become homeless and never, uh, you know, never buy anything. But what it will show you is a, the frivolous things that you spend money on are probably much more expensive than you think. And, and, you know, I read a cool story. This billionaire, he came to America and he decided he wanted to try to spend no money. He was, I think, the richest man in Turkey, billionaire from Turkey. And he said he went a whole year, or not a year, a whole summer without spending a dollar. He found creative ways. Now, of course, he was a billionaire, so a lot of people wanted to buy him dinner and give him free hotel rooms. But he pulled it off. He was creative enough. Joel Salton told me when he first started out, him and his wife, they lived in their parents' attic. And, and they lived on a hundred dollars a month. A hundred. They grew their own garden. Seeds of a garden are pretty cheap. And it's a heck of a lot tastier. So grow your own food. Why not? What else are you going to do? So again, one, you stop some frivolous, certain frivolous expenses. You're going to always have some. Number two, you start getting creative on how to, instead of becoming a consumer, grow your own food or, you know, I tried, even though I live up in the Hollywood Hills, I tried, I sold all my cars. I'm like, let me see what happens if I just don't have a car, like when I was at the Amish. What happened? I was inspired by that Turkish guy. And sure enough, you know, you, you people pick you up, you carpool, and the next thing you know, uh, it's, uh, it's not that big of a deal. You're living the same lifestyle, but you don't have a car payment. You don't have a car. So I'm, I, again, you can be creative. The third thing it will do is it'll start showing you the things you do want to spend your money on are things that appreciate. Because if you spend your money on things that appreciate, guess what? The law 15 doesn't apply. I'll give you an example. Let's say you buy a house. I don't know, a farm house um and it cost you a hundred thousand dollars well you might say does the law 15 apply is the true cost of that 15 times higher yeah but since you can sell it for 15 times more it negates the cost so it'll start making you think in the same way that i was taught by one of my mentors dr gordon hazard he said ty you never want to invest in things that rest rust rot and depreciate you know, I told the story before, I'll tell it again. It's worth hearing. I was driving around in his old pickup truck on his farm, and he said, you see all this land I own? He's one of the richest men in the United States, richest men in Mississippi. And I'm with him. I'm like 18 years old. He's like, see all that land out there, Ty? He said, every day I go to bed, and when I wake up, it's worth a little bit more. It went up in value. It appreciated. And he said, you see those cows out there eating? He said, every day. Sun shines, the rain falls, the grass grows, and those cows eat a little bit of that grass and get a little bit bigger and a little heavier. And he said, I sell them by the pound, so every day I get a little bit richer. 
And then he said, uh, you know, the only thing I own that goes down in value, the only thing that I own that rusts, rots, or depreciate is this pickup truck, this old pickup truck, and a hammer and a shovel in the back. And he said, you know, Ty, if times get tough and there's a recession, I can sell the hammer. He was joking about that, you know, he was saying that tongue-in-cheek about selling the hammer, but his point was not forgotten. His point was, Ty, I got all my cash either in the bank where it's liquid and so I can be like Buffett where it's never have to rely on the kindness of strangers. You got money saved up for a rainy day. So he put his money in cash or he put his money in things that go up in value, which is so diametrically opposed to most of the modern world we live in. Think of the things that we buy. We buy cars. Cars go down in value. What else do we buy? Well, the average American, like I said, is $33,000 in car debt. Second you buy a car, that thing drops in value, I don't know, 40% the day you buy it. That's the opposite. What Dr. Gordon Hazard did was he tra- drove an old car. Now, I'll, you know, it's funny. Uh, I have all these friends that are women that drive, they're like, I need a new car. Guys are going to judge me. They're single. And I'm like, no, the good news is evolutionary research has shown guys don't really care what kind of car you drive. Now you might say this is chauvinistic and perpetuating gender roles in the world. And to some extent that's true, but to another extent, I'm a realist and I go, you know, this is how the world is now and will be for a while. If you're a guy, you may be judged a little bit by people from a social status uh, by, because of course that's evolution. You're judged by your ability to hunt. Men are judged and have been and probably will be for quite a while, uh, on their ability to hunt. Now, my point being is you may need to have a little bit of a nice car, just a little bit, but it's probably not as important as you think. Really? I tell people, it's like, look, like I said, I tried it. I sold, uh, I sold my, Cars, you know, I've had Ferraris, Maseratis, everything. And I was like, let me just try to sell them, see what happens. And you turn out just fine. I was reading an interview by, uh, on, on, what was his name? Seth Rogen or, no, not Seth Rogen, Jonah Hill. And they were asking him if he could be different and do something different. What would he do differently? And he said, you know, I wouldn't worry about stuff as much. It's not as bad as you think. So I understand, like Jerry Weintraub, uh, says in his great autobiography, uh, he talks about, it's called, When I Stop Talking, You Know I'm Dead. And he talks about, he was in Hollywood, he was an agent, and it was important for him to project, you know, status, and he, so he bought a really nice car. Uh, that was important to him. And, like a Rolls Royce or something. And so, in, in that sense, I get it. And there's some of you, you will need to spend a little bit more on exterior trappings. I'm not totally against it. I'm not totally for it. But to to the extent that you can, and in areas where you can cut, cut some things. It's not as important as you think. It really isn't. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. Find the wisdom to know the things that you can cut. For me, I like to have a nice house, you know. And But there's other things I don't care about. So you cut the other things, right? Now, again, cut first the things that depreciate. That's why I'm not so anti spending money on a nice house because 
houses in general, real estate will appreciate at, you know, ideally, uh, I mean, somewhat of a, <laughs> a pace at least enough to follow what Dr. Gordon Hazard said. And it's not a complete loss, right? It's just not like, okay, Mike Tyson spent $10 million on one birthday party, a complete loss. Cause the next day you wake up and it, you know, your birthday's gone and you just drop 10 million for nothing. So that's a case of investing in things that depreciate. That's why he ran out of money. If he had just bought 50 mansions with his $500 million, he'd probably be fine. So, you know, in some ways it's a sad story. Make sure that's not your sad story. Invest in anything that you can. People are like, what's the best investment? Is it stocks? Is it real estate? Is it my own business? Is it gold? Is it diamonds? Uh, we can have a long conversation on that. And I think we will in future talks that I do, but at least at the very least, take the baby step of cutting out things that go down in value. Just start there, <laughs> right? Just start with that. You don't even have to get that sophisticated. People are like, ah, I want to be super sophisticated with money. I'm like, okay, great. Start with the stupid stuff, getting rid of all of that from your life. Zero stupid stuff. Let's all start with that in our lives. Right then, you can move on to the more sophisticated things, and I don't care how wealthy you are. Uh, I see plenty of people, plenty of people, uh, losing money and investing in just stupid things. You know, stupid things. So uh, that concept of depreciating assets absolutely vital that you understand that. If you don't get it yet, go Google appreciating depreciating. All right. Very important. So these are, again, high-level things. We can get into many specifics, many specifics. I talk about three-bucket investing. Um, you know, I do some online seminars, too, for some of you may want to listen in on those. Uh, my site, tylopens.com. All right, again, let's keep moving through this. I'm going to add one or two more. I kind of do these talks till I peter out and get tired. So it's 3 in the morning right now. So I'll be tired soon, and I just like to talk when I'm thinking on it. Um, the, uh, next thing that you must understand as you begin to, uh, rise up and acquire more scarce resources, more money, more cash for yourself, uh, and just to review, we've talked about the big picture, the history of money, we've talked about some of the evolution of money. We've talked about, uh, some of the mindset that you must have, whether it be depreciating investor, the law of 15, I think maybe I'll do, um, I think maybe I'll do one more. All right. Uh, it's kind of Machiavellian. You don't hear this too often, but I thought it was very interesting. If you read Machiavelli, the great writer of, you know, centuries ago, he talked about using money to acquire influence. And I think this is often forgotten. Again, am I talking about something dishonest and something corrupt? No. There's this book I like. It's called How to Be a Billionaire. I forget the author right now. It's a Merrill Lynch guy. It's a gold book. I'll put a link to it on the notes for this show. But it, uh, he talks about, I think it's seven things that in his study of famous billionaires uh, that they use to 
require a lot of resources. And one of them is they invested in political influence. Now, you may not need always to invest your money in political influence, but you must invest your money in some level of reciprocity. I mean, in the reason our brain evolved like it did is so that we are one of the theories is that so we could be more social. And one of the reasons we got uh, we began to congregate in larger groups like villages and then from villages to small cities and from cities to s- nation states and from there to huge, you know, what you see, I live in California or, or LA with 14 million people. We begin to, is because there's safety at some level in large numbers. It used to be safety against wild animals and over time it's safeties against the vagaries of nature and other of outside forces in other countries and so on. And so this ability to trade with other people in such a way that it's uh, honest, ethical, and creates reciprocity bias in people is absolutely vital. I mean, hunters used to, Bob would kill a big, I don't know, gazelle. He knew he couldn't eat it all. So he would cut it up and give it to other men and other families in the village. And it was kind of like storing up in a refrigerator. And you might ask, well, how's that like a refrigerator? Well, if Bob gave a whole bunch of deer to and gazelle or antelope to his buddy George, George would eat it and goodwill would be stored in George's belly. George knew deep down one day... When Bob didn't have any food, he owed Bob one. So there's nothing unethical. This is innately human to when you have money to use it not to buy favors and goodwill in a horrible, you know, nasty sense, but in a in a kind, genuine, authentic sense. But like Jesus Christ said, you know, be as innocent as doves, but as wise as serpents. So you can have innocent intentions. You can genuinely mean to help other people, but you can know deep down you can be wise like a serpent. Sly like a serpent is another interpretation of that, you know, of that proverb. So take your money, invest it a little bit in other people, build Machiavellian goodwill in other people, right? Maybe it's you throw a party at your house, make other people feel good. Maybe you give money to to uh, help somebody start a business. I've talked about become a lender. Lend some friends money at no interest. Not only uh, are you helping other people and helping the economy in general, and uh, maybe you charge a little bit of interest, whatever floats your boat, but you're creating goodwill with that person. They won't forget that one day. It's like Conrad Hilton when he didn't have money. And 1929 recession had come and most of his hotel empire was crumbling at his feet. He went out to some vendors and said, if you stick with me now, I'll pay you back one day. And sure enough, he found all those people that had given him free milk for his kitchen and continued to work for him without pay. And he hunted them down and he gave them shares in his company in Hilton Hotel chain. And when it was on the rise, those people were on the rise with him. See, he built goodwill and it was from a genuine place. Use money in that same way. There's nothing wrong with it. Like I said, lend somebody some money. Just remember, when you lend people money, especially friends, don't count on it coming back. So don't lend more than you can handle losing. I lent a buddy 40 grand, never seen it back. 
not because he was trying to rip me off, but because the economy changed and the business I lent him the money was in construction. And, you know, I know it didn't work out for him. I could be hard-nosed and try to get my money back, but I don't. Because when I lend him that money, I knew I probably wouldn't get it back because that's the nature of money. You must be the same way. You must be a lender. See, this is the way people are always lamenting banks and, oh, I can't get a loan. And this, you become the lender. Don't whine. Create the world in your own image. You know, I have this 67 steps to greatness, 67 steps to becoming a millionaire on my website, uh, tylopez.com. You can check out the little link there. And, um, one of the, one of those 67 steps is a mental framework I learned from Alan Nation. An entrepreneur creates the universe and the world in their own image. So if you don't like that it's hard to get loans from banks, you become a bank and make it easy on someone else. Lots of cascading benefits from that type of mindset versus the victim mindset that most people have. If you can't get money from a bank, that creates an opportunity for you to be the bank. And even if you only have a $1,000 that you could spare, well, try it. Get the ball rolling. You'd be surprised at what happened uh, when you get that ball rolling for a while. Opportunities arise. New skills are built. Whoever's faithful with a little will be faithful with a lot. Next thing you know, you'll go from being a consumer to an investor and beyond investor maybe to a capitalist and beyond a capitalist to somebody who has true wealth and positive impact on the world. You can do it, but once again, you better know money. You better be sophisticated uh, with money. If not, you're dead in the water. Like I said, it's already been proven from an evolutionary standpoint that people who have sufficient amount of money live longer and are healthier. Do not ever believe the hype that isn't true. Go out and research it for yourself. Like I said, read Dr. David Buss's book on evolutionary psychology. You'll see people who have enough resources do a hell of a lot better, both in the short term and in the long term, in every measure. Now, like I said, money's not the solution for all things. Money's just money. It can cause problems in some areas and it can solve them in others. That's for you to be wise enough to understand over time. And that's not, I don't want to talk about that in this talk because this talk, we definitely don't have time to go into that. So these are the big ones that I want you to remember. Listen to this again. I've hit on many things. Like I said, it's three in the morning. Uh, I do these talks free. So I, I uh, just kind of, uh, lay out my thoughts as I see them. Uh, I think that the general principles in this are those, uh, or I know that these are the things that I was taught by my mentors and they were absolutely invaluable. They've made all the difference in the world in my life. They've made all the difference. This principle of understanding how to use money to have influence, that's something that's helped me. Being careful with fixed costs uh, that depreciate. It's been absolutely vital in my life that I've gathered that and I've truly understood that over time. And I'll tell you, I've made a hell of a lot of mistakes uh, in my life and almost every one of them is just a violation of the things that we've talked about. Almost every one is just a violation of these. I knew better, I knew better, and now you'll know better. Take it at the word and just move on. A lot of people are like, they got to touch the fire themselves. 
I'm like, don't be somebody who has to touch the fire. You don't want to touch the fire. The universe must be for you, and nature must be the teacher of last resort. It's the teacher that is not nice at all. At all. Right? You do not want to be taught by mistakes. Especially when it comes to money, because there's mistakes that I've seen people make that you never come out of the tailspin. You might feel that way now. And for some of you, it's possible you're in the tailspin and you'll never get out of it. And if you do, you'll never get out of it to the extent that you could have gotten out of it uh, had you nipped it in the bud much, much earlier. So listen intently to this stuff. There's nothing that you could become better at than I can, that I can think of than this talk. Like I said, it's a tragedy that this is not taught in school. Tragedy. But you know what? We can lament about that all we want. Everybody already knows that the school system is pretty stupid. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, I say that tongue in cheek. There's a lot of great things in modern education. Don't get me wrong, but the, the omissions in the system is in, unconscionable. It's, it's just beyond belief that people are popping out of school without knowing these things. It's just a crime at the highest level. So again, we can lament these things all we want, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you and I might as well do like what they say in the seven habits of highly effective people. Just take responsibility for the things that you can take responsibility for. And in this stint, educating yourself, knowing money, calling yourself investor, seeing yourself as an investor, cutting out depreciating assets, experimenting. Try to experiment a little bit. Like I said, get rid of the car for a while. Just see what happens. If you don't like it, I always tell people, try stuff for three months. If it sucks after three months, then do it. You know, I got a brother here. He's doing things right. He came to L.A. And he doesn't have a lot of money. He figured out a way to sleep on, uh, find a room for $250 a month. Everybody else is struggling to live in L.A. He was creative enough, and he just found a way to do it. It's not the nicest place he has, but it's not that bad. It's not that bad. You can do the same. Now, you say, no, Ty, I can't. Well, the difference between a wealthy friend of mine or all the wealthy friends of mine and the not so wealthy friends and the poor friends is the people who go, I can't. The people who box themselves in. You want to be wealthy? Don't say, I can't very much. My mom told me, she read a book once. She, she was telling me, uh, she read a book where somebody just said for 30 days, they were going to say yes to everything. I thought that was interesting. And, uh, it's a book. I'll try to look up what the damn book name is. I can't remember right now. But it's a fascinating experiment on basically how good life was just trying that approach. So you try that approach. Not that bad. It's not that bad of an approach. Right? Try the things I've talked about. Don't be a fool. Don't buy a brand new car. Why? Don't get tricked by somebody trying to sell you something. Like most people. Step off the beaten path. You'll be all right. You'll be fine. Do it just, you know, like I said, I lived at the Amish for two and a half years. I know more Amish people uh, that are millionaires than almost anybody. And they do it by 
over 30 years spending a little bit less than they make. That's what Joel Salatin says, what he loved, uh, what he learned most about the Amish. He said, you know, the Amish are the only people in a society that always spend a little bit less than they earn. And that's the definition of an investor. And trust me, uh, it's not as easy as you think. I've made plenty of mistakes with this where it's like, Ty, get a grip, man. Get a grip. You get a grip. It starts by understanding no money. You're in a hell of a lot of trouble. I don't care how Zen you are. You're not more Zen and you're not more altruistic than, uh, Mother Teresa. And she sure as hell had to figure out how to make money or the whole system fell apart in front of her. You have no choice. If you don't understand why you have no choice, read a good book on evolutionary psychology. The Neanderthals are extinct because they never figured out how to acquire resources as well as our great, 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 great grandparents. They were better at it and that's why they're alive. If your goal is to survive and not go extinct, you better get good at this or you are done. You're done. The punishment is high. The good news is the reward is high. The other good news is Nobody, almost nobody, I'm talking 1% of people you run into are even listening to stuff like this and putting it into practice in their life. Most people are so lost when it comes to money that the playing field is, I mean, the, the, the bar is set so low, you don't even have to become a genius with this stuff. You just have to not be an absolute fool, right? So I'm going to end with the very last thing. Remember, the amount of money in your bank account is almost always, and this is very counter to what you're going to hear, so you're not going to like this. Most people don't like what I say. The amount of money in your bank account is almost always exactly what you deserve. It's a horrible thought. Uh, I know it's been a horrible thought in my life to be like, wait a second. You mean the reason that I'm broke is because something related to me? Well, well I thought it was other people. I thought it was Obama or something. No, no, it's hard, hard, hard for us to go. Maybe it's just me. Maybe in a, in a free market economy, you know, if they can hire me for eight bucks, because if I don't want to do it, someone else with the same skill is also available for eight bucks. Well, maybe that means I'm only worth eight bucks. And you can take that and lament, like I said, Oh, well, everybody should have health care. And maybe they should. Maybe the new system will give everybody health care. Everybody should have a safe retirement. Well, maybe it will. Maybe by the time you retire, the government will have it all figured out, and there'll just be money waiting for you, just gobs and gobs of money. You going to bet your life on it? I'm not. I'm not going to bet my life on somebody else fixing my problems. Even if they will, it's a crappy bet. It is a horrible bet. In my experience, and think through your life honestly, how well have things gone for you when you said, you know what, I'm going to leave it all up to other people to have my best interests at heart. For me, it never works out. Nobody ever has my best interests at heart. It's that uh, as well as I do. You know, the Rabbi Hillel, the va the famous uh, rabbi, he said, um, 
if I don't love me, who will? Meaning if you don't take care of yourself, nobody's going to. So at the end of the day, my feeling, and I'm not very political, so I'm not going to say, oh, you know, the government should or shouldn't do it. I'm just saying the reality is it's a fool's game in my experience to bet on the kindness of other people. And like Warren Buffett says in his book, a few lessons for uh, investors and managers by this Bevelin guy. Don't rely on the kindness of strangers. It's a bad way to bet your life. It's hard enough to get kindness from your own family <laughs> and your own close friends. You expect someone out of the blue who doesn't know you from Adam to go, you know what, I'm going to figure out a way so that when you retire and you live to 110 years old, you will always have plenty of money being deposited in your bank account because we care about you. If you do that, I would say you're going where angels fear to tread. And I've learned wherever I go where angels fear to tread, uh, I lose out. So to get what you want, you have to deserve what you want. The world's not yet a crazy enough place to reward a whole bunch of undeserving people. The world is not yet crazy enough to give financial stability and access to scarce resources to people who don't really deserve them. You know that saying, a fool and their money is soon parted? One of my buddies I know, you know, he made a lot of money. Sold a company, I think like five or ten million dollars. These guys were like, you should invest in this real estate out in the desert. So you're going to make a ton of money. So he invested his money in real estate out. And you know what happened at the end of the day? That deal didn't work out too well. And he lost all that ten million dollars that he had worked and sweated for his whole life. Because just like to get what you want, you have to deserve what you want. The corollary of that is a... Fool and their money is soon parted. If you're a fool, the current economic system is a little bit like a poker table. It's designed to move money around from people who don't know what they're doing on the poker table and push it into the hands of people who do. Now, you might say that's completely unfair, and you're probably right, but what are you and I going to do about it? I mean, maybe you'll become the next... Uh, a Karl Marx and you'll change economic systems. But how'd that work out for Karl Marx? Didn't work out so well. As far as I can tell, that system uh, is in somewhat in shambles. So for you, you got a choice. You can become a economic activist. I mean, look what happened to that Occupy Wall Street. All these people occupying Wall Street and saying, blankety blank, we're going to solve the problems. And hey, my hat's off to them. I have nothing against them. But as far as I can tell, that movement's done and didn't do anything. They would have been a hell of a lot better expending their time learning about money, learning about investing, learning about the acquisition of resources and how to invest those resources, learning about the distribution of or the allocation of assets into non-depreciating assets. Nobody likes that because that's all personal activity stuff personal responsibility and activity. Nobody likes those solutions. It's funny. What people like, I was at this conference and I was moderating the, the, the final conference and this one woman said, I started, a, she was talking to the panel and she's like, 
Well, I started a company and it's really hard to do. And I, I invested a million dollars in it and I hired these programmers and they didn't do a good job and da da da. And I don't have any money and I have nothing to show from it. And I was like, well, here's the deal. You're talking to a panel of a whole bunch of self-made millionaires. Obviously they were able to build websites. These were mostly internet entrepreneurs. Obviously they were able to build a whole bunch of assets. I mean, a whole bunch of uh, businesses that made millions of dollars and they never lost money like you. This, and this woman would not stop. I was like, well, maybe you want to hire a business, uh, get a business partner that understands the things that you're not good at. So you guys can be, you know, so you don't waste your money. And she was like, no, no, no. I tried that. And then I was like, well, maybe you want to hire some consultant. She's like, well, how do you know how to even hire the consultant? It was just victim mentality after victim mentality. I'm telling you, I was like, well, you sound like a poor person. And you're on a quick path to stay poor as hell for a long time. So if that's the intended path, I wanted to say, you are doing a good job. But if your goal is to go out there and do something significant with the prime years of your life, you better not be a whiner. God, that's the last thing in the world. You better go, well, other people were able to take a million dollars and start a company. That's a lot of money for a startup. I was just a fool and let me remove ignorance from my life. As Drucker, as, uh, as, as Munger says, every day, not only add new knowledge into your brain, but remove ignorance. Remove ignorance because like I said, to get what you want, you better deserve it. You want to be a millionaire? You better deserve to be a millionaire. That means if there's somebody out, out there that knows more about money, who's more sophisticated, who's more deserving of a millionaire, this world's probably going to reward them first. It's a myth that the world gives a lot of money to other people, uh, to, to people who don't deserve it. It's like in Hollywood, people say, oh, most of these singers at the top aren't that talented. I'm like, yes, they are. You don't think Madonna is talented? She's stayed on the top of the charts for 30 years. It takes a lot of talent to do that. Is there someone else in Kansas that might be able to sing better than her? Yeah, but being an entertainer is harder than you think. It's not just about your voice. In the same way, when it comes to money, people see, oh, well, I knew a guy was like, Warren Buffett, he probably stole his money. And I don't know. I'm like, yeah. That's how you trick your own mind to not feel, to feel, uh, better about your lack of accomplishment. Don't be a hater like that. I've talked about that. Go out there and realize you'll probably make exactly what you deserve. If you don't like what you're making, then switch how much you deserve. It starts with education, right? That is the beginning. It's so hard. And remember the corollary. The corollary is the scary one. A, a fool and their money are soon parted. Money will fly out of your pockets as quick, quicker uh, than you can imagine if you don't know what you're doing when it comes to money. And it's a dark day when you realize that you made a million bucks and it's all gone. Don't be that person. So lastly, double down, triple down, and quadruple on investing your money in educational stuff. I harp on this a lot because it's that important that I almost want us to talk about it every single time I do one of these talks. I'm like, invest 20%, 30%, 40% of your disposable income in knowledge. The more you learn, the more you earn. 
It's so simple. I don't know why this is so hard for people to believe in. Now, you might tell me, yeah, Todd, I believe in it. Well, great. Email me. Show me the amount of money that you uh, made in terms of your disposable income last month and show me and just tell me. I spent, you can email me. Let's do a little challenge here. And you can also comment here if you're listening on YouTube or on my site. Go ahead and comment right here on the page. Uh, if you're listening on a podcast, you can email me at ty at tylopez.com. Just say what percentage over the last few months you've consistently invested of your money. Remember, we're talking profit here. So after you pay your taxes and your basic bills, what percent do you put in straight into buying books, into attending seminars, into buying online courses? What are you doing? I spent 33000 or 32000 on Amazon last year. I'm not bragging, but I'm showing you that I put my uh, money where my mouth is. you got to put your money where your mouth is. You can't expect and say, well, I deserve it. Nobody deserves anything. They really don't. I'd rather live in a world where people go, you know what? I don't deserve anything. I'm going to. Does, I mean, I don't deserve anything innately, let me say. Sorry. little differentiation there. Uh, you can deserve it from the standpoint of you earned it, you built skill around it, and then it's yours. That's fine. I'm talking about you're not born deserving anything. I guess you could say you're born deserving, you know, I don't know. You're deserving life, liberty, and whatever. You're deserving the freedom to pursue these things. But after that, that's it. That's it. You save up enough money for your own education. You save up enough money for your own health care or at least to buy your own health insurance. You save up and earn enough money so that when you're, when times are tough for six months, you have enough stored up. You do it. You do it. You are Save up enough money so that when you're 60 years old, 70 years old, you've accumulated millions of dollars because that's how much you're going to need unless you want to work for 20 or 30 years in retirement, right? If you want to be working, my grandma's 96. I'm telling you, she doesn't want to be working. You better acquire a hell of a lot of resources when you're young. You will need it, my friend. You will need it. So I'm starting to fade here. Starting to get tired. Here, it's almost four in the morning. I just wanted to talk about this while it was on my mind. Check out, uh, I've got all kinds of stuff on this on my site. That's the central place. Ty at tylopez.com is my email. My website is tylopez.com. Uh, check out my podcast. Leave me a review if you don't mind. Those help boost my, uh, ranking here in podcast. Um, and check out the academy on my site. Uh, you would be surprised at how quickly I can jumpstart your finances, your understanding of investment, your understanding of how to build true wealth uh, with the system that uh, we created. It's the only system I've ever seen. You can begin to learn today uh, from onla- uh, online uh, through self-made millionaire training systems, right? I'm not going to go through and do the whole sales pitch. I'm not a super salesy kind of person, uh, especially on these talks. I want to give free value to you. But if you're really ready to do it faster, I'm obviously limited in these 
free ones I do. I talk as much as I can, like I said, till I fall asleep. Uh, but, uh, for those of you ready to double down and learn faster, uh, I'll change your life. I'll give you the same promise that one of my mentors gave me. Cause like, if you listen to me one day, you're going to come back and hug my neck. And that's the same thing that I would promise you. It doesn't cost very much. I forget what we price it at now. This is not my main source of income by any means. I'm an investor. So, uh, we always charge money. Uh, for advanced courses because like Joel Salatin, my mentor said, people do not value anything you give them free, uh, as much, especially when it's things that you really, uh, can use to jumpstart your life and move quickly. It's a white to black belt system. You will value it a hell of a lot more if you pay a little money. And I know that sounds self-serving, but it's true. And even if it wasn't true, I'd still charge money because I put a lot of time into it. <laughs> so it's a double, what I mean, you know, it's one of those good news is, uh, you'll actually are, it's fascinating. This, uh, more Dr. Martina Adshade, she has this book on called, um, dollars and sex. She's a, uh, economist and she studies, um, she studies, uh, dating from kind of a financial and economic standpoint. And she says, you know what? People who pick, go on free dating sites are less likely to show up for the date. I thought that was absolutely fascinating. You know, paid dating sites like Match.com. And I know the people that, you know, run Match.com, the CEO, and I know people who do plenty of fish, you know, Marcus and my friend, these free dating sites are okay, Cupid. But it, I thought that was interesting, which proves what, you know, Joel Salatin told me so long ago why you should charge. So there's a little bit of price to it. It's not a ton of money. Uh, anyway, you should be doubling, you should be spending 30% minimum of all your disposable income on, and don't just do my course, buy everything. I tell people, man, go hungry a meal. You want to be wealthy? Wealthy people know stuff. I'm telling you, I know some of the wealthiest people, uh, are in the world are my business partners, closest friends, and at every single level, they massively double down and invest in education. So pick up the books. I'll have the show notes, talk all the books we talked about here. Uh, the Millionaire Mentor Academy is on tylopez.com. Join me on Twitter. Get on my book club. It's free. You can put it on my website, tylopez.com, send your email, or you can just email me at ty, tylopez.com and we can add you. I read a book a day and, uh, send out these summaries via, via email. So a lot of people find those health, uh, helpful. About a million and a half people are on this list uh, in 40 countries. So I know you'll find some value there. Um, and uh, so I will talk to you soon. Thanks so much. And I uh, hope this has been helpful and uh, not too rambling for you. All right, stay strong.